And all of the talks that I record, you can find on SoundCloud. We were just looking, me and Ruth were just looking at her, so you can get like a SoundCloud app. They're all free. I have like uh, 160 talks now. So feel free to just use that as a resource. Within that, there's also guided meditations. So some of you mentioned that you find me to be a soothing presence in your life, in your meditation practice. Um, so feel free just to use that. Again, it's all just free resources for you to jump in on. And um, yeah, your questions tonight. What I'm feeling from them, it's kind of things about the bridge between daily life slash normal life and meditation and practice and like how to get from the busyness of normal life into the meditation or how to take the meditation and bring it back into the normal life or the mental chatter or the behavioral things we do and how to use meditation to help those. So all the questions, they seem to be playing on that boundary. And, uh, and a couple of you even mentioned the word boundary, so I guess we can just talk about boundaries in that sense. That, um, you know, it's actually funny. I was uh, talking with Gabe in the car as we were coming over here, and I said, you know, living the kind of life that I personally live a life where I would say I live kind of like non-traditionally. I was a monk in a monastery for a while, and then I went to India for a while, and then back here for a while, and I'm, I don't work during the day, I work at night, and I'm kind of very flipped compared to the basic, uh, you know, American male model of what you're supposed to do. Uh, I don't plan on, you know, I don't have this whole getting married, having kids thing laid out in front of me. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm living a life that involves this process of more wanting to continue to evolve, wanting to focus on a, like a purpose or a passion of kind of serving the, the growth of the human mind, human cultures, you know, I, uh, and I want permission to keep evolving, right? I, have this, I want to keep changing what I'm doing and what it looks like and where I'm at and just following kind of this flow wherever it feels like it needs to take me or wherever I let it take me. And throughout that path, going all the way back to when I was a kid, you know, um, probably as, the first, as far as I can remember, like even first grade, you know, the teacher is saying, oh, if you don't pay attention in class, you know, you'll never, you know, you're going to have to be in fifth grade one day. And in fifth grade, the, they're good kids. They know how to behave. You have to figure out how to behave, you know. And then I was in fifth, fifth grade. Oh, you're going to have to learn how to do things better, pay more attention. This isn't going to work in middle school. You get more homework then. Then I was in middle school. Oh, this isn't going to work in high school. You got to figure it out, you know. Then I get to high school. Oh, if you want to get to college, this isn't, you can't do it like this. Not going to work. And then I get to college, well, you're never going to graduate if you keep doing what you're doing. And then I graduate, yeah, but you're never going to find a job. Uh, I was like, well, okay, first of all, I was like, yeah, you're right. I'm going to go to a monastery. But, uh, and then I went to the monastery, yep, well, you're never, you know, just running away from life. And I was like, okay. And then I was at the monastery, and then I left, and everyone's like, oh, now you're just running away from the monastery. And, you know, every step of the way, um, I've had the, I don't know, the naysayers, the haters, whatever you want to call it. 
but more just the people that want to tell me what I'm supposed to do, what's right, what's the social, you know, and even now it's like, oh, well, you're back, so now you can get the job, now you should have the family, now you should fit into the mold. Okay, you've let that whole thing out of your system, you were a monk, you went to India, those 10 years were gone, but now, now you can become what we all want you to become. And when I feel inside, I say, no, it's actually not where I'm at, or who I am, or what I want. And, um, and I find myself having real conversations with people in my life, people I'm, I'm in relationships with, you know, my mom, friends, just different things. And I often have to keep redefining where, who I am and what I'm doing and keep almost like defending myself in some way and say, look, there is nothing wrong with me. Yeah, I am okay. What I'm doing is okay. It's just different. I know exactly what I want. I'm following my own path. I'm doing amazing things in this world. And it's just different. And having to again and again and again set boundaries, continually reassert myself into this world and say, listen, we come from the 1950s nuclear family paradigm, happy mother with the you know, vacuum cleaner and dinner's almost ready, sweetie. And the husband's home from work, dear. And the kid's at baseball and everyone's okay, you know. And that was the model. That was what was being modeled for us culturally. And that has broken down to people are like, well, like you don't, you know, my sister's in New York. She's a little older than me. And she's like, yeah, there's plenty of like businesswomen my age running around without kids, without a husband. They're just, you know, they'll do it later in their lives. Um, that now we're slowly digesting the fact that it doesn't have to look like that necessarily. But I feel like I'm even a step beyond that. And it's like, I'm living a life that's continuously changing and evolving. So it doesn't even have to look like anything for very long. That my life can have all of these different parts and stages and phases. And they're all equally valid and they're all part of this journey. And, and it never has to eventually get into some box that's digestible for anybody. So being able to speak my truth, right? To know what I want, to be confident in that, to know how I feel, to speak my truth, to understand it. That's called setting a healthy boundary, is knowing who I am, what I want, and communicating that, and acting accordingly and in my integrity. What also happens is that we have a lot of programming inside of us. Like you were mentioning the should voices coming in. Those should voices are not yours. Yeah, those have been programmed into you, probably by your parents back when, but maybe by society or friends or something else. Um, I did an educator's retreat this weekend, actually, for a group of teachers, but uh, a retreat that I did at that same place, I think the last retreat I did, this one woman came up to me and she said, you know, I'm so hard on myself uh, and I'm so hard on my brother and I don't get it and my father passed away and I don't get it because my father, he was so kind to us, he never made us feel bad or like we should do things so what where do I get it from it doesn't I don't it doesn't make sense he never treated me that way I didn't internalize his voice you know 
And I kind of looked at her and I felt into the situation. And I said, well, how did he treat himself? And she said, oh, he was very hard on himself. And I said, so here you are as a kid and you see your father being hard on himself. He's being kind to you. He forgives you and gives you everything. You see him being hard on himself. And that's the behavior that he's modeling for you. And there's a voice in you that when you're trying to relax or doing things, you know, you, you hear this voice in your head that says, how could you? How could you do that? You almost feel guilty. How can I be so lazy? Look at how much dad struggled and suffered. As if I'm betraying my father by taking it easy on myself. As if I'm betraying my father by not being hard on myself. Not because he told me that I should be, but because he modeled that. And because I feel bad not doing what he's doing. Right? That we continue these family, these familial traditions, these behavioral patterns. It's crazy, but it's true. That the more that I've dug into my own psyche and worked through my behaviors and thoughts and feelings, and the more I've really come to realize, you know, I heard some report, it's like 80% of your body weight is like bacteria or something. Has anyone heard that? Or something like that? like a crazy amount of your body weight, like your mass is actually bacteria. Like bacteria like runs the show. And we, like the other material, it's just like little parts, you know, it's not as much. Um, and it's very similar that I've, I've come to see, you know, about 80% of my mind is not mine. Like 80% of my thoughts and feelings, behaviors are things that have been handed down to me that I was told to believe, education. And that's just because I only see those 80%. I'm sure it's actually closer to 100%. I think eventually, if you really drill down into it, you know, this understanding of free will and all this, it's, it'd be very an interesting thing to look with a you know, fine-tooth comb through that because at the end of the day, the mind is conditioned. It's conditioned to pleasure and pain and and what it's told to want and the feelings and even that we think in the English language that we only have you know when I lived in Germany and I learned German I had all new sorts of thoughts and experiences because I was using different words even that we're thinking in English we're experiencing everything just within this one framework that so much of our experience it is conditioned conditioned by having senses a body that feels eyes that see easily we're conditioned. We only see colors, you know, from red to, you know, Roy G. Biv, right? You just see like the rainbow. That's all that we see. How much else is going on? If you have cats, sometimes you'll see your cat. Your cat's like watching stuff darting across the room at light speed. If you have two cats, you'll see they're both following the same thing. And it's not like a fly or a mosquito. It goes from like that side of your house to that side of your house. Boop, blink, boop. It goes so fast. And the cats are all watching it. But you can't see it because cats have conical shaped eyes and they see things that we can't. They can see a little bit different. Dogs can hear higher things than we can. So sometimes your dog freaks out and you're like, what? There's nothing here. But in the dog's experience, there's a whole new set of things going on. So we are so conditioned by, by everything, by our senses, by our society, by our thoughts, by the language, by our abilities to perceive. Um, that we're kind of in like a bit of a box in that sense. And, and, that, and this is like a very existential conditioning that I'm talking about. 
if you want to even get into more practical terms, you know, like I went to a Tony Robbins event last year and he talked all, you know, about limiting beliefs and limiting views. And um, I mean, a kind of strange example was when I went to this retreat last week, I, this salt lamp that I have right here, I plugged it in and I turned it on and the light came on and I started unpacking my things and then the light went off and I said, oh shit, it was cold in my car and the light was cold and I turned it on and I burst the bulb because it was too cold and it went from cold to hot too quick and it burst the filament or whatever. I was like, crap, you know. And then I pulled it out and I had an extension cord and I put in the extension cord and I plugged the speaker into it. And as I was plugging the speaker into it and I said, but you know, if the speaker doesn't work, that means there's a problem with the outlet, not with my salt lamp. And I go, I hope the speaker doesn't work. And I plug the speaker in and I press power and it doesn't work. And I go, yes, it doesn't work. And then I said, Seth, why are you happy your speaker doesn't work? Of course I want my speaker to work. And I said, oh, uh, actually, I really want my speaker to work. And I looked, and the power cord, it had fallen out of the back of the speaker. So I plugged the speaker in and turned it on, and the speaker worked. And I was like, okay, the speaker works. But then the salt lamp, and I said, Seth, Instead of wishing that one thing doesn't work so that means the other thing is okay, what is it that you really want? And I said, what I really want is for the speaker and the salt lamp to work. And then I plugged the salt lamp into the extension cord and turned it on and it worked again. And it was this weird kind of thing that happened that doesn't make sense why it happened, but it was like this lesson and it revolved around limiting beliefs and allowing yourself to really ask for what you want in this life. That um, we're so quick to attach stories and perceptions of what is possible and what is not possible. We often dream small and in, again, a limited kind of way instead of really sitting down and say, what do I want? What do I want to feel when I wake up? What do I want my life to look like? Yeah, why aren't we taking this proactive creator, co-creator role in this life? Uh, I've lived my entire life around pushing at boundaries, seeing which boundaries are real, which ones are not, and I've been amazed at how many boundaries that I've pushed at. There's really nothing there. Uh, you know, there's a story like in India, the way they cat like uh, domesticate elephants is that when they have a baby elephant they chain it to this little tree and the baby elephant's kind of stuck and it can't get anywhere but as the elephant gets older it's still chained to the same like little thin tree but because it made the experience when it was a kid that it can't that this tree contains it it never tries again because now that it's big it would actually be able to rip that tree right out of the ground but it's already decided in its belief system that I'm not as strong as that tree. And now that it is powerful, it still keeps that same belief that that tree is stronger than I am. And as we started off as little babies who couldn't do anything, and now we're adults, it's amazing how many beliefs we've kept from that time, from being a baby till now, from being a kid till now, from being a teenager till now, from being a young adult till now. You know, that 
we form opinions and views and beliefs and we hold them and we don't think to re-question them or look or to see what's going on. Is this real or not? Does this make me happy or not? And the way to start deprogramming the mind, the way to start working with the mind is to start looking at the mind. And that's why we're here. If you're that elephant and you just believe that that tree is, you know, has power over you and you don't take the time to look at that belief, that belief will last forever. The Buddha said there is nothing as intractable as the human mind, he said. And the Buddha is, is a, was a man of, of uh, metaphors and similes. He, all, all of his talks, this is like that and that, you know. Everything he said, it was trying to paint pictures and metaphors and similes for people to understand the mind and the practice and stuff. And he said, nothing is intract as intractable as this. It's hard to, to move as the human mind. And he said, so hard, in fact, it is hard for me to come up with a comparison. And this is the only time I've ever heard the Buddha say that. So the Buddha pretty much is saying that the human mind that has decided on something and doesn't really want to budge will never be budged and if any of you are in relationships you'll know that that's true if any of you have families that you've ever had a conflict with if any of you ever use Facebook you see yeah there's people out there that no matter what you cannot budge their they don't change they don't want to hear new information they're not interested they'll block it out they turn into a turtle and close up and nothing comes in anymore that the human mind is like the best fortress that there is if it wants to be if it's in defense mode and so when we meditate when we practice this even the fact that you guys are sitting in this room together you've already taken that first step right you've left your lives you've left the busyness and the craziness and the stories that you associate with everything out there and you've come into this neutral space but it's not even a neutral space now the space has a meaning that you've assigned it this is my place to meditate one of my teachers said that's why if you go to India you see all of the monasteries and the ashrams up on the mountains yeah because first you have to like climb all these stairs and you have to get away from life you have to get away from the things you're used to you have to put in some effort and physically remove yourself from everything to then have that perspective and then be able to stop and rest. That's why it's so hard to meditate when you just wake up in the morning and you try to sit on the pillow in your bedroom and you try to meditate and then after five minutes you're like, you know, I just want to go drink some coffee and you know, and you remember that you have to do the dishes or something. That it's so hard to practice in your normal environment because your normal environment isn't for stopping, it's for going. It's programmed, it's habituated, you know. Um, that's why I tell people when you do meditation, please sit, don't lay down. If you lay down and close your eyes, you will fall asleep because that's our habituation. Laying down with my eyes closed means sleeping. So anytime someone in one of my classes like stubbornly tries to make a case for wanting to lay down and meditate, and you know, inevitably they end up snoring like later, and I'm like, yeah, I told you, you know, it doesn't work. Um, 
So that's why it's nice to have things like guided meditations. That's why it's nice to come to spaces like this, to come to groups, to remove yourself. You know, I go to the gym every day. A lot of the stuff, almost everything I do at the gym, to be honest, I could just buy, you know, two 30-pound weights and two 20-pound weights. And I could do everything I do at the gym at home, and it would cost me a lot less than a gym membership. The problem with that, when I was a kid, my parents bought a Nordic track, if you guys remember that, it was like, it's like the skiing machine with things, you know, in their bedroom. And, uh, and every time I looked in their room, it was like the coat rack, you know, it's where all like the winter jackets were on. And I see this a lot, that there's all these great advertisements on TV for, you know, sports, you know, workout stuff you could have in your home. I don't know many people that successfully work out at home. Yeah, if I'm at home, I will sit on the couch and watch Netflix. Yeah, watch The Bachelor reruns or whatever. Yeah. I, I find it incredibly difficult to motivate myself to do physical exercise in my home. However, to jump in my car, drive five minutes down the road, and go to the gym, suddenly I'm clicked in. Yeah, I go to the gym and I work out and I push myself and it's great and I feel great. I'm so happy I did it. And I know I love working out, but I would not do it at home. And meditation, it's very similar, you know? When I started meditating, I, I understood that, I understood that, uh, have a paradox or, or difficulty. So what I did was I said, well, I'm going to create a space in my home for meditation. And I went to Home Depot and I cut out a carpet and I had a, you know, I put a little like, uh, you know, four by four foot piece of carpet in the corner of my room with a salt lamp and a Buddha statue and a little like incense thing. I made myself a meditation corner with my meditation cushion. And that's the place that I sat once a week for 15 minutes to meditate. And that's how I started. I could not meditate in my room before that. I tried to sit on my bed and meditate. It didn't work. But when I created a spot, a space for my meditation, every time I sat down, I could do it. Because I had put in effort and I was like energetically in a space that gave my brain or my mind or whatever the emotions, the signal, this is your space and your time to practice. And that's something that I can suggest. I know not everyone has that ability or has a corner. But right now I do a morning practice and I do morning prayers every day and I have one specific spot in my room that I do that and it's a spot in my room that I don't do anything else in. So it's still the same kind of thing. It works for me. Find your space to do it. So the way that we can change the mind is by looking at the mind, right? So this practice, here's kind of the steps of how this works, if you haven't like figured out by now kind of the progression, is that we start by being very confused, by being very busy. Our minds are externally focused out into the world, all of our feelings, emotions, stories, thoughts, all the stuff that's happening out there. We take one step in towards ourselves, which is removing ourselves from the world, and then we come into this room. Then we take one step further in by closing the eyes, closing the body down, shutting everything off, 
and then we're just with the mind. The mind then is going to again try to reestablish that connection to the outside world. So it's going to again try to think about things, plan things, worry about things, fantasize. The mind, it's so used to running out, running amok out there that when you bring the mind back in, it's kind of like freaks out. It's like a tiger in a cage. It's just trying to find a way through, right? And what you're seeing right away is you're seeing the mind. You know, if, uh, if you give somebody everything that they want the second that they want it, they're never going to have to reflect on themselves. You know, you don't see yourself. If you get everything as soon as you want it, then everything's just smooth and flowy and everything's fine. The second there's a hiccup in that, the second something's not there when you want it, or the second you want something to be gone, <laughs> something that is there to go, that's when you're faced with actually having to see yourself. How patient am I? How much can I forbear? How good am I at letting go and trusting and being with the flow? That, um, that when you close your eyes and you sit here and you watch your mind freaking out and trying to get away, that's an amazing time to really look at yourself because at the end of the day, like, this is a pretty decent room to be sitting in right now. It's comfortable enough. There's good company. We're doing something great for ourselves. We're doing something actually pretty good for the world by being here. This is something that I would say most people look up towards. I went to a meditation class. Oh, wow, good for you. You know, it's like a good thing, seen good. It's good for us. It actually feels good. It feels peaceful. You're spending time with yourself. This is very healthy, scientifically proven healthy for your brain, for your nervous system. This checks all of the boxes. So there's no reason that when we sit, we close our eyes for the mind to want to go anywhere else. Everything that we need is right here. This is great. So why does it? Yeah, and that's exactly the point when we talk about boundaries. That's the boundary right there. And that is always the boundary. That this moment is always this moment. You always only have just this right now. Can you make peace with that? Can you be present with that? How much are you suffering by just being here now? And that question you can ask yourself every second of the day. In every new situation, how much am I suffering by just being here? How much do I resist the moment? How much do I want and crave and lust after things that are not here? How much have I built up a mind of discontentment versus a mind of contentment and peace? This moment is the boundary because this is it. We're here right now. There's nothing else going on. We're all here because we want to be happy, right? We're all here because we want peace, right? We're all here because we want to feel relaxed. We want some answers. We want to feel good. That's why we're here. Yeah? But the thing that's keeping all of that from coming to us, all the things we want, everything we've ever wanted, 
is right there in front of us. And all we have to do is open the door and let it in and just accept this moment as it is, accept what's here. The, the wanting mind is such a tricky thing because the wanting mind, it says, if I get this thing, then I'll be happy. You guys know what I mean? It's an if-then mentality. If I can get that, then I'll be happy. If I can get that person, if I can get that job, if I can get that feeling, if I can get this amount of money, if I can get my taxes done on time, if I can get, then I'll be happy. Yeah, if-then, if-then, if-then. When you bring that mind into meditation, you are, you are instilling in yourself a feeling that this moment is not enough. You're creating a perception that this moment is lacking and that you need to do this thing called meditation to get this thing called happiness. And what you're doing is you're fracturing your mind. That wanting is splitting your mind into two pieces. One piece is this moment, which is not satisfactory. And the other part of your mind is a projection into the future of a, of a fantasy that says that's where happiness is. It's out there somewhere. It's this fracture in the mind between now and later. And it's creating unhappiness now and future projection of happiness. Does that make sense so far? Meditation, it's a process of unifying the mind. Meditation is a practice of letting things drop, allowing things to be. It's the greatest paradox, I think, that I've ever faced in my practice. And it was the most important realization that I ever received. So after you know, 10 years in the monastery, the most important thing I saw was this. As soon as I let go of that wanting things to be different, everything was different and everything was okay. That my only problem was that I was labeling this moment as not enough and projecting what I want into another moment that never came. There was the carrot dangling in front of my little monk face and I was always just chasing this thing called peace if I meditate enough, this peace thing will come to me later. And it was actually Thich Nhat Hanh who pointed it out to me first. He looked at me and he said, practice is like instant noodle soup. You don't have to wait to enjoy it. And I had no idea what he meant when he said it. And it took me like five years to get it. And he looked at me once and he just saw my mind that clearly. He could say that to me. I didn't get it for like five years. Until another teacher, Achim Brahm, said to me, he's like, well, if you're sitting to meditate and you're stressed, then just stop trying to meditate and just sit here and relax. And that was so hard for me to let go of control, so hard for me, because as I tried that, my mind kept saying, but, 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 you know, but I do nothing all day and I'm not happy, so what would that do for me now? You know, but, but I need, but I'm a mess, but I need meditation. But the Buddha said, but the book said, but you said in the talk that my mind kept, but, but, it, and I, 
it was this crazy conscious process of every time that but, 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 I had to keep saying, well, I'm just going to try for this one meditation, I'm just going to try to just sit here. You know, and the next, but, but you need to, and I said, I'm just going to try. I had to set a boundary with myself. I'm just going to try. Let me just try it. Just this one meditation, I'm going to try to not do anything. I'm going to try to allow myself just to be in this moment fully without wanting anything else. And as soon as I lay down that want, my mind was able to unify. As soon as I lay down that want, I wasn't projecting half of my mind into the future. As soon as I lay down that want, everything arrived. And when everything arrived, I felt it. I felt complete. I felt whole. I felt relaxed. I felt peaceful. Because peace came when I surrendered, right? I had that thought a couple weeks ago. It's like peace doesn't come through war. War only works because it eventually forces one side to surrender, to give up. That peace comes through surrendering. Yeah, peace doesn't come through me getting what I want because you're just going to want the next thing. Those wants are going to keep coming. And on that very basic level, a want, it's a fracture of the mind. You're splitting the mind into now and a projected future. You can never have a fully present, peaceful, whole mind if your mind is split. You have to reunite the mind. You have to bring it all in, bring the energy together. And it's as simple as saying, by not wanting anything. And that goes against all of our conditioning since childhood about wanting and working and striving and doing. It goes against everything we've ever been taught. Right? So I'm here to reprogram your minds, to give you a new conditioning that says we can practice differently. We can sit here today, and for the whole practice today, let's practice not wanting. That's it. Just practice not wanting. I'm, I don't want to meditate. I don't want peace. I don't want anything that's not here. Another way to say that is to want everything. Wanting nothing and wanting everything is the same thing. They both result in this moment being enough. So you could either want everything, including every ache and pain you have and every feeling, and I want all of this, I want my thoughts, I want everything, I want my discomfort and my suffering, I want it all. Or you could say I want nothing, that however, thing, however things are, does not matter to me. I don't want anything. Wanting everything or wanting nothing, they are both equally valid ways to bring the heart to that place of just being able to be here. Yeah, but as soon as you want something that's not here, or as soon as you want something that is here to be gone, then you're in trouble. Then you've split the mind. And the Buddha said the mind is intractable. The only way that can change is if you change it. You have to let that go yourself. So let's say, let's practice not wanting for this class. Let's really just practice sitting here. I know my life is a mess. I know that my mind is busy. I know that I have all these answers that are unanswered, all these problems that are unsolved. Yeah, that there is so much wrong with me and my life. And I came to meditation as an answer to all that. 
And I'm going to look that directly in the face and say, and yet, right now, I want nothing. I am not here to get my wishes fulfilled. I am here to stop wishing. Yeah, and we're going to make, let's try it. Try making a new an experiment, right? A new kind of experience. And let's see what happens. Let's see if it works. So sitting in a position that feels comfortable, that feels stable. We can close our eyes. We apologize to ourselves for being such slave drivers all the time, pushing ourselves and whipping ourselves and being constantly unhappy. We have realized the folly of our ways. So we're going to give ourselves the gift of rest and say for the next half hour, I'm just going to want nothing. I'm just going to allow everything that's here to be enough, to not try to change it, to not try to solve my problems. I have no wants, I am simply here. I arrive with each breath. Taking three deep breaths in through the nose, filling the body out through the mouth. 